now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and as always, this is... Abe, hi! Out Now is a film podcast where Abe and I are normally discussing new, new movies weekly. However, every now and then we have these special bonus episodes, whether it's one of our fun commentary tracks or something completely different, and this is something completely different. This is uh, another interview episode, another uh, filmmaker interview episode. I don't know what to add. I'm just I'm just really excited. I have so many questions. Yeah, I, we like to do these every now and then. We like to get on yeah. some, some filmmakers and uh, and talk about whatever they're they're working on. We've we've talked about it's called the craft. We need to know the craft. Exactly. Yeah. It's from 1999. Not only do we need to know the craft. 95. Well, not only 95. do as important. <laughs> not only do we need to know the craft, but we want our listeners to know the craft as well. And I think we've. We've we've kind of gone all the gone all over the place. We've talked to writers and directors. Yeah, uh, right. So people who have had major Hollywood motion pictures to people. I, I you know the the person that we really need to get on the show because we love his work is Brandon Trust. <laughs> okay, so that's enough about our interest in talking about other people. Let's talk about the person we're actually going to talk about. It is a, a friend of the show. He's been on the show many times talking about other movies, but now he's going to talk about his own thing. It is a. Uh, Creator, showrunner, and director of the upcoming web series, The Vampire Resistance Corps, it is Terrence Johnson. Hello. Terrence! <laughs> it's so I wasn't weird. sure if it was pronounced vampire or vampire. Yeah, vampire. <laughs> <laughs> but no, uh, it's, it's good to have you on. Welcome to the show. We're, uh, we hope that you're in for some interviewing here, and uh, we'd love to... Uh, Run by everything that's in your your uh, very specific detailed uh, profile here on the Vampire Core Resistance Core website. Jeez. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, see, we got to act like we don't talk to you a lot. Like, so we got to like pretend like yep. yeah, it's, 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 you're a filmmaker. Like, we got to we got to. Right. <laughs> yeah, my <laughs> other in my other life, you know, I put on the cowl of uh, the film director, <laughs> and I and I go out and make stuff. <laughs> Well, let's uh, let's get into it. First up, what is the show about? Uh, so, the Vampire Resistance Corps is a six-episode web series that is about these three army soldiers who are living in Alaska who get a tip that a army general is um, being held by the vampires, and they decide to take it upon themselves to go into vampire-infested territory and um, save this guy, much to the chagrin of some of the leaders uh, in in their army. The genesis of it was sort of like, think of it like Walking Dead, but for military, mm-hmm. is, how, is how I would describe it. So it was like, you got vampires and, and fun vampire-y stuff, but uh, I wanted to focus on the humans. Well, fair enough. And I, I, so I, I'm, okay. hear, I'm hearing a lot of vampire. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's already I want to know where where did this come from where, where was your inspiration as far as kind of choosing you know for something like this uh, you know having vampires is kind of a yeah it was I actually you know when you guys hear you know in Hollywood people would be like oh I worked on this idea for 10 years oh, I worked on this for five mm-hmm. and it's like that's really a reality I had this idea in 2014 uh and my first internship when i was out here in la going to film school um we had to come up with some pitches and one of the things that i came up with i was like what about i was like i want to do something horror related so i have to i have to find some sort of weird phenomena to base it around so that i can have something interesting to talk about and i stumbled upon this thing called midnight sun also a Patrick Schwarzenegger movie, also the name of the Edward 
POV version of Twilight that Stephanie Meyer will never finish. Um, <laughs> but before <laughs> both of those things, it was it's it's a phenomena where um, the sun doesn't set. You get 24 hours of sunlight above the Arctic Circle, mm-hmm. and I was like, huh. If I were living in a world filled with vampires, that would probably be pretty great. You know, you could get a break, but it's like you have to live above the Arctic Circle in order to do that. And I was like, well, what would make? I was like, oh, vampires living above the Arctic Circle. What if I had to force a whole bunch of characters to like leave that safety? And that and that was sort of where the genesis of of the idea. And I started to build build it in and think of characters that would be interesting to follow. Um, and that's really where it came from. It came from, you know, a quick Google search for weird things that happen in the world. Uh, and yeah. so it took you about four years to to come up with the, the final draft and start shooting, or were you kind it of shooting took, all throughout? It took... I applied with this... Uh, Loyola Marymount University has this thing called the Film Independent Incubator Lab, which is a joint partnership with Film Independent, um, the people who put on the LA Film Festival, uh, to help recent grads go out into the world with like a project. Um, Is that similar to something like the Sundance Lab, but for younger filmmakers? Yeah, in a way, it's modeled off of the same sort of sort of thing. Um, <laughs> but this particular program is just for graduates of Loyola Marymount, um, okay. which is really cool uh, because you know mm-hmm. you paid all that money to go to school there, and you get a potential <laughs> thing <laughs> to get the so. And when I you applied, mean when you when you graduate from film school, they just don't start handing you projects to work yeah, with no, they they big directors. No. They don't give you the Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift. <laughs> no, um, but yeah, it was like I applied and I didn't even know the ending of the story, but I was like, "Here's what I think the story will be," um, and then I got in, and then that I wrote it from May. I had a, a writer's room, which you'll see on the website. Uh, May twenty. 20- 16 October 2016 was we spent writing it um so we ran I ran it like a a tv writer's room we met like every week and we discussed different things and I was like I kind of want the story to go this way and we figured out a way to make it go that way and we dug deep and then I wanted to shoot it in January but this is a pretty big project and that was a really stupid idea (laughs) <laughs> um, so I ended up shooting it in June of 2017. We shot a little bit of June. We shot a little bit in July. Then one of my actors, Joe, um, who some of you may have seen in Cobra Kai uh, or in the Sundance film Spa Night, he actually had to go shoot Cobra Kai. So we like took a break so he could go to Atlanta to shoot the show. Came back in January, shot a little bit, shot a little bit more in June, and then finished this past August. So in terms of like filming, mm-hmm. the filming took about a year and two months. Okay. Wow. Right. Yeah. And both that's interesting. And the fact that they filmed Cobra Kai in Atlanta is interesting to me as well. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Everything's in Atlanta now. Apparently. <laughs> um, and speaking of, of the process, I would love to know, you know, you said, you said that you kind of had a writer's room. How did mm-hmm. you find those folks? Were they kind of just alum of the uh, LMU program as well? Or were they people that, did you send out a flyer? Or, or how did you find <laughs> some of the talent to help you with this? Um, they, I'm a part of a, a cinema fraternity, Delta Kappa Alpha. And okay. 
they were two people, Brennan, Brennan Gilpatrick and Octavia Bray, uh, were two people who I told about the project and they were really interested in potentially writing. And I discovered fairly early on in the process of like pitching the project to get into the incubator lab that I had to bring on like some other people to help me write it. It just writing is like a very solitary experience, but when you have an idea that like you don't know the ending, it's like maybe you should find some people to help you get to the end, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Um and so yeah, I just asked them and then we started meeting and then you know, the series expanded a bit more than I had it in my mind because I had the two of them to help me out. Very um, cool. And we, as we were working on it, I knew that Brennan was really great at action. And so I was like, you will be writing episodes three and five, um, which have a lot of vampire action. Uh, Octavia is really great at character stuff. And so she gets episode two and four. Uh, Episode four in particular is really, really juicy. Uh, And then, I mean, I kind of told them, I was like, you're not writing the pilot and you're not writing the finale. So let's figure out. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and then it worked, it worked evenly like that. We could all just write two episodes. I want to back up a bit. And and, uh, so you you had this premise for this, for for the series. Uh, Was it always going to, did you plan on making it into like an episodic series or was it ever going to be a film at any point? Or was, how, how was that scripting process? Uh, I was pretty set on episodic. Uh, I've had a lot of people say, you know, that it could be a film. I've had a lot of people mention that I should, once the series is over, to cut it into a movie. Um, you know, but it was it's built to be, you know, you get something interesting one week after the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was really crucial. And I mean, that really shaped how we developed the story because it was like, we know we need to hit like by episode three, they have to be like out of the compound on the way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, by episode five, they have to get to the place they need to go. And then episode six is sort of this resolution. Um, and it just made it much easier to structure it that way versus thinking of it as like an act. Right. You know, or like the Twin Peaks of web series where we I would be like, oh, it's just a movie. It's a long movie. Um, <laughs> it's not a web series. Uh, you know, that that type of storytelling is, is valid. It's just, it's it's a lot harder. It was it's a lot easier to write to sort of points in the story. Mm-hmm. And in terms of the craft as well, um, you know, it seems as though you knew that you wanted a story that was pretty whole. And in terms of casting it, how do you go about doing that? I mean, did you kind of find oh, people that you were finding through your own alum association as well, or is this an open casting call? Uh, so I worked with a casting director. Mm-hmm. Her name is Kara Sullivan, and she is great. And she she sort of, she works with, like, indie filmmakers, but also works with sort of up-and-coming filmmakers. Um, and at first, when I, like, met her, I was like, she is not going to do this for the budget that I have. <laughs> this project i have it written down here budget to talk about later as well by the way yeah (laughs) she's not gonna do that for the budget that we that i have to give her Mm -hmm. um but she agreed to do it for the budget i had and she was really 
invaluable. So like for, you know, people who are thinking of making, like seriously making a project that requires casting, it is like imperative mm-hmm. that you get a casting director because she was the initial contact to all of the agents and managers of potential people that I might want to reach out to. She ran the casting sessions and would send me the footage. Uh, there's a place in LA called Cast, uh, so like Cast but with a Z. And so she did the first round of those, and she was like, "Here are all of the videos. You tell me who you like." And I was like, "I like this person, this person, this person." She scheduled the callbacks, and then I, I attended the callbacks. And you know, putting this cast together, I was really adamant about it being a diverse group of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the series was. The first thing, going back to the writer's room, the first thing we talked about in the writer's room was whether one character was going to be gay or not and what that would mean for the story. Uh, and so I wanted to carry sort of that through line on through. And I, Joe, I didn't audition. Um, mm-hmm. I met him at, uh, what is the name of that? I met him at a restaurant here in LA and <laughs> we sort of talked for a long time. And he shared with me his ideas on the script and I shared with him my ideas on the character and we Mm -hmm. sort of blended and hit it off. And then Karen and Hollis, uh, who played Demetria and Lucian, they auditioned. And so I was in the room with them and they just fit the characters really well. Right. And so for a show like this, with this cast, um, and you're putting this whole thing together, you already mentioned it with, you know, as far as kind of how diversity is going to play a role. What, 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 how, mm-hmm. Expand on that. How, how, how is diversity playing a role in this series beyond just like some of the standard things you may expect from something like this? Yeah, well, the interesting thing, like I'm a big horror fan and many people know, I feel like I got my start of whatever little internet fame I have, <laughs> you know, because I was running the podcast for on Teen Wolf, the Demon Wolf cast. Um, and one of the, things that frustrated me so much about that show and other genre material is like, you know, would have, the show would not acknowledge the diverseness of the characters in the story. Um, You know, it was great to have, you know, Tyler Posey being the teen wolf, but like that show didn't act like he was Mexican until like season five, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) you know, or, (laughs) and, you know, I loved True Blood, the first four seasons. Um, and, and, like, that show was really great. But then they sort of whiffed on, you know, the the race aspect of some of those characters. And so in in the development, it was really important for me to make, like, it's, it's great to have, like, a blonde white guy, you know, an Asian guy, and a black woman at the head of your series, right? But, like, if that was all it was, what would make you want to watch my show like you could see that anywhere um so you know having the series sort of revolve around their quest and demetria's backstory plays a heavy part in that and then with like lucian and takani being in like a relationship that brings something interesting because now when we go on this journey with these characters, every decision is going to be two against one. Interesting. Okay. And it's like, is it two against one? Because 
these two people are in a relationship and the other one is not? Is it two against one because, you know, Lucian was the protege of Demetrius' father? Like, and they have a close relationship. And so all of that started to factor in. And it's like, as as the situation gets more and more foolish <laughs> and crazy for the characters, like, mm-hmm. those, that sort of angle is, is really important to the narrative. So, like, yeah, like, the first day, our first half-hour discussion was, like, is Lucian gay? Mm-hmm. And if Lucian is gay, how does that relate to Takani, who I already knew was going to be gay? It's like, oh, are they in a relationship? What does that mean, you know, in terms of their choices to go on the mission? What does that mean for how they act on the mission? How does Demetria feel? You know, um, you know. So that's that's why I think it's really you know important. So it's like so they, you create you by, by acknowledging the diversity head on, you create a sort of a ripple effect for the writers yeah. as far as where mm-hmm. you can take things, as opposed to yeah. you know, there's an ad, there's something to admire, like. For example, cinematically, for example, you have a film like Searching, which we talked about on this podcast, where the fact mm-hmm. that John Cho is Asian, that doesn't play a huge role in the up. actual yeah. film versus right. Crazy Rich Asians, which is obviously very much dependent on the fact that they're Asian. There's, from what you're describing, is some kind of happy medium where it's like, sure, you have these people here. Mm-hmm. They happen to be of different types. And you can play into how that does make some kind of difference without making it completely about that very factor especially because it's a genre series so you know you already have yeah. other things you're working with yeah and like you know the story is is the story uh but like it just it's so much cooler when you can like imbue the story with little nuances by virtue of the fact that you're acknowledging these different traits within your character so like crazy rich asians you know we've seen the story of like you know a lower class girl dating a high class guy and, and how that relationship goes. But like the climactic scene in that movie is a game of Mahjong. Like right. I've never seen that before. And, and it only, and that just made that movie, it elevated that movie even more because it had those sort of things. So talking about, uh, um, speaking more to the, I guess the genre aspect again for the mm-hmm. series, what are, you've already talked about kind of your inspiration for the show. What were some influences as far as what you're drawing from to come up with certain uh, ideas? Oh, God. Um, That's a good question. I mean, well, Walking Dead, Mm -hmm. uh, definitely. I've only seen two seasons of The Walking Dead. uh, Same. (laughs) But in those two seasons... I knew exactly what I wanted to do. To be, I, I mean, to, to, to its credit, because I, I am a person that watches The Walking Dead. I, I host yeah. The Walking Dead TV podcast, speaking of <laughs> t- TV show podcasts that get frustrated to do. Um, I, I think the, I mean, the first season, you have Frank Darabont heavily involved. So he certainly put a, you know, he put his, st- his stamp on the show. And then the second season still had him involved. So it's, you know, if, as far as how to take an influence, the most, like, a tourship for The Walking Dead came in the first two seasons, I would say. So, I mean, okay. it's not a, that's, that's fair. Not a bad thing to yeah. be influenced by those seasons of The Walking Dead. Yeah, I mean, it just just in terms of, like, there's zombies that, like, you care about Shane and Rick, you know, those characters. Um, inspired by a lot of vampire stuff, I... And there's this web. There's also a web series called Surviving, um, that was created by Reagan Gomez, who's an actress who's been in so much stuff. Uh, and I was like, oh, cool! Like black people getting to tell genre stories, great. Let me watch all of this. 
and figure out a way. But like the influence really was just like I I love horror, right? And I wanted to tell a horror story, and vampires provided an interesting sort of counterpoint to the humans um and it allowed this phenomenon to really work like just thinking about having 24 hours of sunlight is great if you're a resistance army but like what if you're not there (laughs) right yeah (laughs) what does that mean for you (laughs) yeah so Um, question about oh yeah go ahead eric i was i was gonna get uh, into kind of more you as a filmmaker uh, I mean, so so we've we've talked about casting, we've talked about inspiration, we've talked about uh, getting the writers' room together. So now, what is it to go to like first day on set and start directing this thing? What 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 is how how does that feel? What what what's that Ooh. what's that like? The first the first day is great. Uh, <laughs> the next year, this project has tried my entire life. It's like <laughs> I have never I have never been more stressed. Like I. When it is done, I, like on Halloween, when the finale airs, I don't even know like what I will do, what my life will be. Um, but no, it's it's great. But there's a lot of preparation that goes into making sure the first day is going to be good. Um, you know, I did several rehearsals with my actors before we even got to that point. Um, I sort of I pushed the start date back to June so that we could have these rehearsals because like these are actors can memorize lines fine but right. like getting into the rehearsal room and working on the material and un- and really digging into the character i think is a really important thing um and i i kind i made my first the first day was somewhat it was somewhat difficult because i remember i went to a film independent event that Barry Jenkins was at, and he was talking about putting your most difficult day. He was talking about working with um, Ashton Sanders and Jarrell Jerome, that like single take hallway walk and talk situation that they had. You're, for referring, Moonlight. you're referring to, yeah, the, the middle section of Moonlight. Yeah, yeah. And he was like, oh, like you got to throw your actors in the deep end so that you know what you get and you know where to work from. And I was like, that sounds great when you're spending somebody else's money Uh, (laughs) you know so I was like I can make my day moderately difficult so the first day was uh sort of the opening action sequence that you see Mm -hmm. uh and it was really you know great it was it's it's nice to get once you have that rehearsal preparation it's like okay once you get on set it's more about like figuring things out and the way I am as a director I trust my department heads with a lot so like when I'm working with a cinematographer I do not like to be bound to a monitor like normally on a film set like the director will be sort of back in like video village looking at the monitor and like your cinematographers do not but like I feel like there is a gap between me and the actors and I don't like that. So I'm like, I look at my DP. I'm like, is the frame correct? Right. Great. Okay. Let's shoot, you know? Mm-hmm. And then depending on the scene or the day, I'll go and look and see what we're doing. Um, but I trust that I've communicated my vision enough that they understand exactly what I want. 
So I think it's clear that you've directed beforehand. Yes. I'd assume. <laughs> uh, are there shorter films, short projects? Uh, short films, yeah. Okay. So I take it this is probably the, the, the largest like production you've worked on. Is that, oh, yeah. Is that fair to this say? Was essentially, this was essentially like shooting a feature. Mm-hmm. You know, six episodes between eight to 12 minutes an episode. But like when we wrote it, like the pilot was 17 pages, you know, the episode five is like 15 pages. So it's like you're essentially shooting a feature. So that's a big step up from directing short films, because now it's not like, oh, I knocked this out in a weekend. It's like, this is several weeks, <laughs> you know, right. of of time that we're taking to do Uh these things so and it certainly takes probably like what you're mentioning a whole lot of planning and um i actually have a question for you on the medium in which you're going to be presenting your your web series Mm -hmm. you know do you feel as though with the advent of sites like youtube red or vimeo or i mean it seems as though content can be created almost anywhere was there a specific reason why you chose your platform or do you feel as though it's so broad now that anyone if you have a serious idea and you want to shoot it you can do it uh, I definitely feel like if you have a serious idea or even a silly idea, you can go out and shoot it and post it somewhere. Um, but if you're like serious about curating it and where it's going to go, then you have to do a little bit more thought. So I'm primarily distributing this on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, YouTube is the world's second biggest search engine, second only to <laughs> right. Google, which owns them. <laughs> um, and... I knew that with the time I was finishing principal photography to the date that I wanted to hit for episode one, that I was going to need the potential of discovery to be a bit higher. Um, I was actually really stressed about this (laughs) as I was deciding where it should go. Um, Because like with YouTube, I was like, I'm going to be so like keyed into the views even though I've, I've pretty much gotten over that now i'm just like it's going out there and it's whatever right. um but like if you were to post this on vimeo vimeo they don't really care about views like there's high view stuff there but vimeo is where you'll find stuff that's really 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 high quality sure yeah um, yeah i've noticed a lot in my in the in i because i'm not i think abe knows this too i'm not one to watch much on like my computer i don't really mm-hmm. go around like browsing yeah. for things and that's i think it's why i don't get sick of certain online memes or videos because i never see them so i'm like oh chocolate rain that's fun like that's, that's kind of like, like, oh, i'll see it like you know yeah. i'll see it like yeah i'll see it like five years later be like oh that's fun right. then, I'll, then i'll never watch it again i'll be like i liked it that one time i saw yeah. it like that's that's how I so, but, uh, yeah i'm, I'm so certainly I, the opposite of like i love consuming online media especially because like terrence what you're saying is yeah, it, there are a lot of people that have great ideas and vimeo certainly is a platform youtube as well you, Vimeo you certainly can, is you one where I get check out. It's more of like equipment stuff. When I want to see people shoot with a certain kind of camera or whatever the case is, I'll try uh-huh. and see on Vimeo because they can upload at a higher frame rate and also, I'm sorry, higher bit rate. So it looks cleaner. But yeah, no, for sure. I, I see what you're saying. It's also for easier sure. to yeah. share for whatever reason. You can share Vimeo somewhat easier than YouTube, it seems. But Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's really up to, you know, the artist. But it was, you know, I considered... What if I were to do it just on Facebook, 
You know, Facebook has two billion users. Uh-huh. Sure. You know, so that's two billion people potentially that can watch your your thing. So it's like, and I might, I'm actually thinking about testing out Facebook with this series just to, just to see. You know, it's it's worthwhile. But the main the main hub is is YouTube. Is YouTube okay? And we'll certainly link that for sure. Um, now now comes the question about finance, Terrence. Mm-hmm. So we've spoken to writers and directors in the past as well, and we've been surprised by, you know, the budget that they've worked with on some of their projects. Um, Mainly because of how, find... low, how low they are compared to how exactly. low it is. Yes. Yes. Like, just surprised by how good it looks. And basically, I, I, I'm curious about, you know, your your thoughts on um, d- either dispelling or proving that you don't need a big <laughs> budget to make something that, that looks good and that feels good. Um, well, you don't need a big budget to make something that looks good and feels good i think the project sort of determines the budget so like i could have written this story a different way and spent much less <laughs> i could have added one or two more things and spent like double what i actually spent um you know this any when you get into genre stuff particularly for younger filmmakers and people who are starting out, it feels expensive. It feels more expensive because there are things that you have to factor in that you don't have to factor. Like if I was just making a regular drama, I don't have to factor in like vampire fangs. (laughs) So like I don't have to spend $20 per person for vampire fangs, you know, and depending on how many vampires you can have in a scene or like blood effects or, you know, um, I, I was really fortunate that this series, it was part of my pitch to the incubator lab um, because they want to know that you're about the business. I was like, Hey guys, this series cannot be made unless I have LMU equipment and locations <laughs> and potential to win a grant, <laughs> yeah, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and so by the end, the budget will probably be around like 20 K. Okay. Uh, this I probably should have shot it for fifty. Really? Okay. So you you yeah. went way less than half. Yeah. So like by virtue of not having to pay for like a camera and all of that and getting you know three quarters of the locations for free and as a student, um, I was able to do that. Now, that's not to say that somebody out there can't go make a vampire military web series for less than that or more, but just like. It's, it's really about how you want to tell the story. Um, a lot of young filmmakers, and, and this, you know, I work in genre material a lot, and I have lots of big ideas. I'm waiting for a small one to hit me. We want to tell the story we want to tell and make it as big, but, like, there is something to knowing how to work within a budget and to, like, tell a unique and interesting story that can fit a set of parameters. So, like, if you know you only have $2, you can't tell a ten dollar story. Yeah, no, like, I've, I've talked about that often. As far as what I wish yeah. I could see more from, not necessarily, you know, because I, I understand that you know blockbusters need to be blockbusters. They got to be big and big. But like, there's certain filmmakers that I know, you know, when you push their back against the wall and make them really think about how they can do something, they tend to turn out some projects that are really worthwhile. And I look, yeah, at, I, I've made note of that with like Robert Rodriguez. 
um, I think is like one of the sure. examples. Who's it's it's never I I never feel like Rodriguez has been like I have too much money to work with, but he certainly yeah. seems like one that started off with this very logic of I only have this much money. How do I make the best thing I can out of it? And he, I, think, yeah. I think he's taken that to heart. And I think I feel like more filmmakers could really use that. Well, and I and I and it reminded me of you know we met Guillermo our, uh, Guillermo del Toro and our friend Alessandro Desplat. Mm -hmm. uh, at a screening of The Shape of Water. I, I, I didn't know you guys were friends. When Alexandra walks away and then sneaks back through some bushes to hand you soundtracks to his movies, that means you're best friends with him. That's, <laughs> yeah, how, that's how it works. Um, <laughs> that's awesome. You know, Guillermo was talking about making Crimson Peak and how okay. he made that movie for $50 million. And because of that, they had to market it as if it was a $50 million horror movie rather than the gothic romance that it was. And he was like, had I made that movie for 30 million, they could have marketed it differently. So when it came time to make Shape of Water, he was like, how much can you give me to make this movie and market it the way I want it to be made? And they said 19. Mm -hmm. And he made that for 19. Mm -hmm. And it looked like it cost $100 million. Yeah, you know? it looks like, great. It, it looked amazing. And, you know, it won Best Picture. So <laughs> it's... It's, it's things like that that have to be in your mind and they have to be in your mind when you're like creating the story. So in the writer's room, there were certain avenues that I was like, we cannot do that. We do not have like an initial pitch was like one of the characters was going to get hit with like a tree. And I was like, um, we can't. Trees cost money. <laughs> throw, we can't throw a tree. We, we got a trash a can and a lid. How about yeah. that? that was, we can't throw a styrofoam rock. We can't do any of that. But in doing that, there is a scene in the third episode that's much scarier because we found the workaround. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So creativity kind of came in and saved it. Yeah. And I mean, it has to, like, like I said, this was made for about 20K and it should have been made for a lot more. And it was made by 20K because I had a lot of friends working on it for free and I, and I was in an incubator lab. Um, but like the story supported that had I tried to go like one step beyond, it wouldn't have been made for that. Duly noted. What'd and, you, uh, you what'd know, you, what'd you film with? Yeah. Uh, we shot, um, a majority of it on a red MX-1. Yep. Um, shot a little bit of red Scarlet. And then our final shoot day, we were on an Alexa. Okay, cool. I, so, uh, I imagine we have a lot of listeners that want to aspire to be filmmakers or what have you. So it's always cool to know like what tech we're using um, for sure. to make these things. If you can get your hands on an Alexa... <laughs> <laughs> That's what you would go with? That's your uh, weapon of choice? Yeah, I mean, I love shooting on the red... There's just unique stresses that come with shooting on the red. Uh, if the camera gets too hot or too cold, it shuts down, uh, which happened to us when we shot in Idlewild. And it was Interesting. Snowing. You shot out there, huh? Yes, it was snowing. Yeah. Uh, 32 degrees and snowing. And the camera stopped working every 20, 30 minutes. Oh, um, boy. Red footage can be easily corrupted. <laughs> So you're always constantly worrying about that, but you can, we shot 4k. So like, if I ever want to 4k, like, you know, the amount of material that we have to do color correction and things like that in VFX is, is crazy. The Alexa is really cool. Um, I don't remember which type of Alexa it was, but like 
it records ProRes 444 uh, videos. Okay. So, like, the ease of putting that together and not having to transcode it and not have to do anything crazy is, like, the footage is just right there. And you can view it, like, directly on a laptop, whereas Red, you sort of need the, the software in order to do that. So Got it. You have the pros and cons. So Red, Red's like Sony, where it's like it only works with Sony things, where <laughs> other ones are are compatible with everything. Yeah, so like Red, I mean Red, I mean the Red is great. Right. You know, you can rent if you live in well, if you live anywhere. ShareGrid is a really great place to look um, for people who have Reds and stuff. Uh, you know, you can find a decent Red to shoot with. They're sure. really expensive to buy. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, it, I would imagine. Yeah, but, uh, buying it. I don't know camera. if you would ever. I think it's more of a of a frugal thing to rent your equipment yes. when you're making a movie, unlike uh, the people in the room. Yeah, yeah. Everyone has Wiseau money to throw around. <laughs> right. And speaking of editing, did you were you in the editing room with your editor, or did you edit it yourself? And what software did you use? Uh, I am working with an editor. His name is Sean Carroll, uh, and we're editing on Premiere. Okay. Um, when you're at LMU, you actually learn Avid first, uh, well, for grad students in particular, because Avid, Avid is, like, the standard, but Premiere is, like, more people-intuitive. Avid is, if you know how to use Avid, you can literally do anything in the world. Um, I'm convinced that there's nothing you can't do after learning how to use Avid. So we're on <laughs> Premiere, um, and I sort of, I give in the typical workflow for us during this process was like, I put the footage was on a drive. I'd give him the drive and I'd be like, edit these episodes. Okay. And I'd go away and, you know, enjoy my life, attempt to enjoy my life. <laughs> and then he'd be like, Hey, here's episode one. And I just like a rough cut. And I would give him notes. I'd say I like this. I don't like this. We need to change this. Um, he would incorporate those notes and then we would meet in person just because like, I think it's really important for directors to, you have to take a step away from it for a bit so you can come back with some clarity. And if like you're constantly in the room with your editor, like that's really tough. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, so that, that bit of a break is, is great because you get to think about other things and worry about other things. And then you come back and it's like, oh, okay, you know, and for us, this process has been really organic because the way the scripts were written is not like the ending and beginning of each episode is not necessarily how it was written. So like we would go in and do an edit and it's like, Oh, this pilot is 15 minutes long and every other episode is like nine minutes. And I don't want you to get into the expectation that you're going to see a 15 minute episode every week and then see nine. So how sure. do we work this? So like, oh, this feels like a natural endpoint more so than this. Wouldn't this final scene be a great teaser for the next episode? Uh, so all of that was discovered, hmm. you know, once you have a little bit of space. Cool. Have you got any more questions? I do. I have I some too, so I just want yeah. to know where you're going. <laughs> no, for sure, yeah. Uh, and uh, I'd like to know, it seems as though we spoke, we spoke about Guillermo del Toro and... Um, He's known for shooting in sequence. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm curious, 
from your perspective of, you know, timetables, actors as schedules, your own personal schedule, um, would you, do you see the merit of shooting in sequence so that, you know, everyone feels a story kind of growing with them? But at the same time, you know, from a practical standpoint, do you feel as though, you know, I, I have a shooting schedule, I need to stick with it. I've made promises to these actors, to these producers, to our writers, et cetera. Um, and we got to shoot what we can shoot on the day of. Oh, man, I would have loved to shoot this in sequence. Um, shooting, if you can shoot in sequence, I say do it, because it is great to be able to know that you're progressing through the story in a linear way. This project, <laughs> we did not have that option. <laughs> um, very much bound to actor availability, um, to the budget, to when I could get crew. Um, and so we we shot out of, like, we would shoot, there was one day we shot footage from episodes one, two, and six all on the same day. <laughs> uh, and so that's where, like, being prepared as a director really comes in because you have to be able to guide the actors through different emotions. Right. Uh, so like the people that you meet in the first episode of the series are not the same people <laughs> by the end. And so keeping track of that is really important, but there on particular days when we could shoot in sequence, we would. So the stuff that we shot in Idlewild in particular allowed for that because we're just outside there's no inside once we're in the woods we're in the woods so it's like okay we can start at the beginning of the script and work our way you know down right just by virtue of of the setting or when we shot in a warehouse in south central that one we pretty much shot in sequence um because we had our run of run of the whole entire warehouse so i was like i i asked my dp i was like do you want to shoot like back of the building forward or do you want to go like in sequence? And he was like, I'm just picking up the camera and moving. So it's like, we went in sequence. Okay. Um, so that's pretty great. But yeah, not, not the whole shoot, but that would have been amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just <laughs> curious because some, some folks, again, I, I appreciate that some directors, you know, take the time to think about, okay, well we want to have a, a quick shooting schedule with quality, but I'm always fascinated by Guillermo del Toro and Aaron. I don't know if, or you guys might know other folks that shoot in sequence as well, but I'm always fascinated with that aspect just because of like what you said, things kind of come the way that the story is unfolding. So everyone mm -hmm. gets that emotional buildup when they need to, you know, they've been through uh, the trenches together, so to speak. And, uh, you know, the emotional highs probably resonate much more. Yeah. Offhand, yeah. offhand I can't think of directors that, shoot in sequence that i know off i know you know it's it's a it's a rare it's it's worth noting like you're mentioning uh, cause yeah it's it's really like it really if i had guillermo de toro cachet and money uh, <laughs> yeah. i would do it because like the thing the thing with my series is like it's a low budget production so my yeah. actors are working you know below uh not below a SAG rate, but below, you know, a rate that they would necessarily want. And some are getting paid more than the others. So it's like trying to shoot in sequence. Like what if I, what if one actor is in, you know, three episodes, am I going to pay them like three times or can I figure out a way to do all of their scenes on one day and pay them once? Gotcha. Uh, that's, that's where you sort of have to, you know, figure it out so like as much as i was a director i also am like 
the showrunner of this thing. So like the business aspect is, is still in my mind. So that that was what really it came down to. And then just some some scenes take longer. You know, mm-hmm. you know when you're shooting an action scene that you're gonna be there forever. <laughs> is that, Although is that right? we shot we shot the action pretty quick. There when you when you're moving lights, like I think that's what people people who haven't made um something uh of a particular caliber don't understand just how long it takes to light stuff Mm -hmm. like that's why like if you average two pages of a movie like i'm talking for like a studio movie in a day you're doing well because of how long it takes to light scenes and so I there were a couple of times where like we slowed way down just because we had to figure out how to light a scene or like moving something to where it looked consistent. Um, mm-hmm. And but you know when we went out to the woods and we didn't have to move any lights, we shot you know really really quickly. That's interesting. I I kind of maybe would have guessed the opposite just because you know the way that the sun's going down or whatever the case is. But mm-hmm. that's really that's that's <laughs> that's great to know. Yeah, so, like, if you're, and it's why I, the last two days of the series, we didn't have any lights. We were using all practical lighting. And I totally get why Jean-Marc Vallée shoots that way now, because it's like, <laughs> you know, the final day of shooting, I think we did something like 36 shots. So that's not takes, that's just shots, which is insane when you think, like, a, a young knows what they're doing filmmaking crew can get like 24 in a 12 hour period and mm-hmm. we did 12 more than that um wow. just by virtue of the fact that we didn't have to move any lights so th- those are things that also get baked into the schedule and things you have to consider i want to uh, i want to shift a bit to a genre note before we start kind of wrapping up here i mean this so we've, we've talked about vampires a little bit something yes. i like about vampires in particular when it comes to various horror films is that the rules around them are a bit more malleable, um, where others kind of more or less get what you're going to get with certain other movie monsters. Vampires, people tend to kind of play around with their kind of handling on them. Did you have any ways of handling vampires that are any different or familiar as far as light, crosses? (laughs) Did you come up with a set of things that you wanted your versions of vampires to be, that like to have? Yeah, we did. Um, I knew that they were not going to be able to go out in the sunlight uh, or else what is the point of the midnight sun thing Mm -hmm. being a genesis for the idea. Uh, I knew for me, it was it was less about like reinventing the wheel than more about being like, oh, I like these elements. Um, Mm -hmm. So being bit by a vampire won't turn you they kill you with their blood in the system that will turn you so it's very you know true blood mm-hmm. uh but the reason why i like that is like it could set up you know say this goes over well and i get future seasons like that is an element i would want to explore um more and it also is just like i just if if they're not around vampires a ton like how do you get the terror you know, of that. Um, what really happened, it was less on the vampire side and more on the human side because we were like, so what defeats vampire? We're not throwing garlic at people. 
like <laughs> we, don't, we don't there's no holy water there are no crosses but like silver bullets do do the trick wooden okay. stakes still do the trick and then we started to get really creative so we have like ultraviolet light grenades that will stun a vampire we have um silver bombs that let off sort of a silver aerosol mist that will paralyze them for a time mm-hmm. um and then that all sort of and it was like oh well hey we have a tech guru guy he should be the one to invent all of that shit so it like it then funneled back to character which was great um but yeah sort of the stand it's they can't go out in the sunlight if they kill you while their blood is in your system uh you'll be turned into a vampire all right. Hey, do you have more? Uh, I do, but that? they're kind of like uh, it's actually more along uh, your your website, um, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm at the explore the world, and yes. I was poking around and I thought to myself, Terrence gave a lot of thought to this. There are massive <laughs> diagrams, and you know the the amount of the world population affected. Is this something that you thought of in the early goings on? Meaning like when you you knew that you had wanted to do something genre related and then you, you started playing things. Is this something that kind of was there early on or is it kind of, okay, cool. Well, now that I'm kind of wrapping things up, I've got some time on my hands and uh, I think I'm going to explore this world a little bit more for the audience. What's that web address uh, real quick? It is vrcseries.com slash explore the world. Okay. Yeah. Um, so yes, yeah, my the website vrcseries.com uh i that that came way in the beginning um i am a huge fan of the lizzie bennett diaries <laughs> and one of the great things about that was that you could explore their profiles on their website uh i knew that i wanted something to supplement the series mm-hmm. so like you know, you can watch the series on the website, and then it's like, okay, I can also explore the world. I can learn more about vampires. And so I sort of wanted it to just be like a fun hub uh, right. that people could go to. And it's like, if you really look through all of that stuff, you can piece together parts of the story. Hmm. Um, Interesting. You can find out what caused the vampire plague Mm. uh you can understand the scope of the military operation that our characters are about to endure um you can get into the mood of the series because there's a spotify playlist down at the bottom i saw Um, that (laughs) (laughs) like you know han zimmer right (laughs) yeah and you can also what's really fun the sort of the sunlight counter is really fun so like as all of you will hopefully join the resistance along with my characters, you can figure out how much daylight you have to fight the vampires. Very um, cool. To the website, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I saw that I was just, I was just curious, but I'm, I'm glad that, it, again, when, when I'm always fascinated when, uh, you know, showrunners, directors, what have you, take the time to do something like this, whether, you know, it's a full-fledged great commentary on DVD tracks or something like this, where explore the world, make it your own. You know, let's. Uh, I want you to be very immersed in it and and be it, have it be an interactive experience. Yeah, I really, I, you know, the narrative is the narrative, um, but the series is meant to be anthology. So, like, mm-hmm. if you guys really like it and somebody gives me some money uh, to pay <laughs> for a second season, 
you know, we'll go to a different corner of the world and understand what it's like over there. Um, and so I was like, but a, and I needed a place to sort of unify that. Um, and the and the website uh, vrcseries.com uh, is a really great place to do that. And it's also fun for me because it's like I get to do a whole bunch of research on vampires and then put links to articles and podcasts and and pretty soon I'm actually joining a roundtable uh, of some mythological experts talking about vampire stuff. So that will be there as well. Well, excellent. Fantastic. Yeah. So we've uh, we've covered a lot of things here. We can start kind of wrapping things up. Uh, you you okay. mentioned the uh, the episodes. They're what nine to fifteen minutes long for for the series. Like nine to twelve. Okay. <laughs> we'll say as I as I I say that as I continue to try and finalize <laughs> the first episode. And it's going to be available on YouTube. It'd be, it'd be available on YouTube. Uh, you can watch it directly on the site. Um, and I'm sure you'll see me posting about it, but yeah, it's it primarily on YouTube for sure. Yeah, we'll, we'll be we'll be happy to kind of yeah. share share it as it debuts. When when does yeah. it debut? By the way, uh, September 26th. So okay, great. every Wednesday, uh, you will get a new fun and interesting episode, and the finale is on Halloween. Perfect. Um, yeah, this is so creepy. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, the finale is is a doozy. So <laughs> I, I assume it's a special Halloween episode too, where they're all wearing masks while fighting vampires. <gasps> I'm gonna look out for cameo appearances from all these slasher horror uh, characters, <laughs> so I'll be on the lookout. Terrence, yeah. uh, in terms of wrapping up, uh, what kind of advice would you give to up and coming filmmakers? I mean, you have done a lot of shorts, and you've also won awards and. You know, now you've moved into a web series and presumably, you know, you're going to move on to bigger, better things as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, what kind of advice do you give to the young guys who might not go to film school or the people that are in film school right now? Uh, ooh, this is a good question. One that you're going to hear on the circuit a lot in the future. <laughs> yeah, what am I? What, what what advice would I have given myself? Um, I think I used to get so annoyed when I would go to places and people would be like you have a camera in your phone like just you can make anything (laughs) yeah just start and i'd be like whatever but (laughs) no you really you really can (laughs) um you know it not everything has to be a vampire resistance core like this story doesn't exist without the film independent incubator lab so i'm very grateful that they brought me in but like if i didn't have that and I was trying to think about what kind of story I could tell. If you have this new iPhone X, you know, or whatever, like, that's a 4K camera. Mm-hmm. You know, find a story that you can tell with that camera. I think it's it's really important. That would be one. Um, and I think it's really crucial for people to start collaborating and working with other people really early. Um, film is not a solitary medium. Um, even if you're doing documentaries, you still need a subject. And very often, people will go to film school and want to be stuck on their track. So, like, I want to be a director, so I'm just going to direct. Um, LMU was great because it forced everybody to be writer directors. Uh, but, like, sometimes people would be like, oh, well, I'm just going to be a writer director. And it's like, well, our nationally ranked screenwriting program that has just turned out like multiple people 
who are repped at CAA now, mm-hmm. they understand screenwriting. So maybe go work with them, you know, find a group of, find a writer's group, you know, just working with other people and understanding how to do that is really, really important because you will be on set with these people who you used to like and you have to continue to find reasons to like even your friends you know like I worked with a lot of my friends on this project and the day we finished principal photography the day after that I was like I don't want to see any of you for like two days (laughs) you know I hear what you're saying though I mean it it makes so much sense to me even just one that's not like a filmmaker if I was going to want to direct that's that requires so much of me as far as I need to know what I want to get. And so I'd probably want to be, I want, I'd want to know things about production design, about lighting, about uh, sound, about, you know, the casting process, about writing. I'd want to know these different things so I can know what I'm asking for. If I'm trying to steer a ship, like that just makes a level of sense to me. Yeah. It's, it's just really like, like I said, film is so collaborative and Mm -hmm. it's like you, everybody needs to be working in conjunction and, you know, or when you're right, like people who want to learn, people who want to write screenplays, that could be a very solitary experience. But like you should be in a writer's group because if you don't share anything, like how are you going to get better? Or like you don't know right. who another person might know that could get you your big break. So it's it's really, really important to not, you know, not just try and be your own. Most of the my classmates who were successful or like helping out on other people's projects and really understood the collaboration is a uh, is really important yeah not everyone can just you know jump into james cameron's shoes and, be, and even he comes from the roger corman school of like knowing how to do things beforehand before jumping in so it's like yeah you not everyone's a yeah. prodigy that just jumps into being a director you gotta you know do the work yeah well and i mean like even looking at james as egotistical mm-hmm. <laughs> as james cameron is like you know having made two of the highest grossing movies of all time like he wasn't doing those vfx (laughs) you know (laughs) he didn't build the titanic you know he didn't you know do the costumes he'd do all that but like he has to be able to work with those people he has to be able to tell them how you know the vision is you know right and if you're and then taking it sort of to a tv side a tv is totally different so like Mm -hmm. directors have power in film the writers have power in television. Um, so, like, if you can't interpret a script, you know, and if you can't take direction because you think you need to be the one and only head honcho, then, like, you are not going to make it in this industry. Like, you have to be willing to collaborate with others. Like, right. there are people on the set that know more than you do. For sure. I mean, and- Maybe that's a whole different topic, but I, I know exactly what you're saying as yeah. far as, you know, director's not the one leading on a TV show. That's, you know, it's someone interchangeable at times, given the stamp that's left on it by either a, yeah. by a showrunner, essentially. So Yeah, but that's that's great advice. I mean, that's solid advice. You know, again, you might not, might not always like who you're working with, but you guys are working on the same project together. And, yeah, it's, it's important to cl- cross-collaborate. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Aaron, did you have any uh, final wrap-up questions? Uh, I just I, I want to ask Terrence, how can people find more about this series? Where are the various channels and plugs that you can uh, throw in for Ooh. the Vampire Resistance Corps? Well, you can now officially explore the VRCseries.com uh, mm-hmm. in the week before 
the series is set to debut. All of the behind the world stuff is up there now and in this podcast when it is uh, posted will be linked there as well. Um, you can also find us on social media at VRC series. So that's across Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And I, we also have a Tumblr where you'll see lots of fun GIFs from the series, which oh, is a... Uh, we will have fun GIFs on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, VampireResistanceCore.tumblr.com. Uh, and Vampire is V-A-M-P-Y-R. Not IRE. Super convenient. Okay. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that's all very perfect. Um, no, yeah, I think I, that's all the questions I have. I think we've, we've covered a lot of ground as far as this series. Because they're cool. sight unseen so far. We look forward to checking it out for sure. For sure. Maybe we'll even yeah. have some time to do a wrap-up. Or Abe and I will just stumble into doing a commentary for six <laughs> episodes of the series. <laughs> about a show, yes, we, did not, a show I... we did not work on. <laughs> <laughs> I would love, I would love a uh, an, an out now uh, commentary. That might that might be fun to do. We haven't done that I, before. I kind of just do a whole lot of roasting on it. That be that, that could be that could be fun, fun to do though. Yeah, it would actually we be fun. If we because we can we can we'll link it. Yeah. yeah. We could, no, we, we you and we I have, and then we can have Terrence back exactly, on and we can yeah, talk we about the show because he's actually directed it. We can just have questions or comments on it while he's talking about it. But uh, that's yeah. that's all that's all for the future. That's all for for November first after the final the finale of the series airs. But no, that, this has been great, Darren. So I look forward to uh, we look forward to uh, all of us, all of us, the listeners included, look forward yeah. to checking out the uh, the Vampire Resistance Corps, which will be available on YouTube starting September twenty sixth every Wednesday for six weeks straight. Um, it all sounds very exciting. Very happy to to talk to you about it. Thanks for for coming on with us and doing this. Thank you, Terrence. Um, I'm 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 very happy to be on talking about uh, you know the stuff that I'm doing. It's really cool. For sure, even if it you know nearly kills you. But um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, quite nearly. <laughs> but we'll, uh, we'll we'll see where where things pan out here. I, again, we look forward to checking it out. But uh, yeah, no, that's gonna that's gonna do it for this special bonus interview episode. Um, so yeah, until next time, so long. And mind the night.